the Athletes in the Arts podcast, hosted by Stephen Karaginas and Yasi Ansari. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the first Athletes and the Arts podcast, the first, we hope, of many. Thank you for being with us today. If you like what you hear today, make sure you please click subscribe, and you'll be getting our podcasts as soon as they are made available. I'm Stephen Karaginas, a performing arts medicine physician near Detroit, Michigan. And I'm Yossi Ansari. I'm a registered dietitian and certified specialist in sports dietetics. I work out in Los Angeles, California, and I'm so excited for you guys to all be a part of this new series of podcasts focusing on performing artists. And some of the talking points that we have today include where the idea of Athletes in the Arts came from. I get a lot of people asking me about Athletes in the Arts and where this organization originated from and where the idea came from, what the needs were, how did it get started, what are the main issues that Athletes in the Arts is trying to meet, and what are some of their future plans for performing artists? Now, Athletes in the Arts is a coalition of 20 national sports medicine, performing arts medicine, wellness, and performing art organizations, um, ranging from athletic training, sports nutrition, orthopedics, general sports medicine. There's a lot, a lot that takes part in Athletes in the Arts and a lot of organizations involved in making sure that the needs, both physical, performance, mental health needs of the athletes and the arts are all met. So today for our first podcast, we thought we'd bring in the two co-founders of Athletes in the Arts and find out more about what it is, how it started, and where it's going. So we have Randy Dick, who is a fellow in the American College of Sports Medicine. He worked for 20 years with the NCAA, managing its sports medicine and injury prevention programs. We also have John Snyder, a longtime musician, Grammy Award-winning producer, a lawyer, and founder of the Artists House Foundation, dedicated to helping musicians and music entrepreneurs. John and Randy, we're so excited to have you guys here today, and actually this morning for me, it's 9.30 here in LA, um, but I wanted to learn more about how Athletes and the Arts began. Can you guys start off by telling us where this idea came from? Well, I will start. Uh, we, I am a member of an a organization called the Joint Commission on Sports Medicine, and it's a meeting that of, of non-for-profit sports medicine organizations that meets on an annual basis. And we happened to be meeting in New Orleans in 2009, along with the content of talking about various sports medicine topics. We also sort of broaden our approach, and we had uh, the Preservation Hall Jazz Band come in and play for our group of about 60 physicians and medical people. And it turned out that John coordinated that uh, uh, that performance, and we had some very interesting discussion with them after that uh, after that performance. And maybe John, you want to give a little more uh, thought around that? Well, you know, the uh, uh, I was friends with uh, the youth, the youth symphony conductor in New Orleans, Jean Montez, and he had come to my office uh, a couple of weeks before you called me, Randy, and. And we were talking about how many kids he lost through it to injury um, in uh, pre- preparing them to play music. And I was surprised by that. And then just coincidentally enough, you called me a couple of weeks later and, uh, and asked me if I could arrange for some musicians to come talk to some sports doctors about 
the issues of health and wellness uh, with respect to musicians. And I was kind of surprised by that, uh, like Kwame. And um, you you explained that you'd call the Chamber of Commerce, and they called the, and they said call the Arts Council, and they said call Loyola, and they said call the School of Music, and they said call me. And so here I am, and um, it just so happened that um, uh, the the guy who was the manager of the Preservation Hall Band was one of my adjunct teachers uh, for, for the program I was managing at Loyola. And so uh, I called him as soon as you and I got off the phone. I think you said to me that these doctors were meeting at a national uh, convention to discuss the issues of uh, athletes, uh, the health and wellness issues of athletes, but you had pretty well covered the topic of, con of concussions and you were kind of interested in what, uh, how musicians related to these issues. And uh, so that was a, already a kind of a leap, but it connected with my interest with the Youth Symphony and then also with my uh, knowledge of, of Adam Shipley, who managed that man. So we were able to get them to come in and, um, and did this presentation. <clears throat> um, I think I remember that our, our miking system failed just before we started, so I had to walk around with a handheld mic and interview these guys. But uh, despite that uh, ridiculous scenario, um, they were great. And there were like four of them, I think five maybe, uh, sitting in front of the, uh, the panel of doctors. And they played. We, uh, we played music. Uh, and then uh, the doctors asked questions. And it was so revealing. Um, you know, I think one of the, the, the drummers said that he thought at one point when he was playing, he was having a heart attack. But he was afraid to go to the emergency room because that would prove that he was hard, having a heart attack. Uh, and so, you know, I think the, the doctors were full of questions. And uh, it was very, all around, I think, a very positive experience for the musicians as well. My, uh, my perspective of that is once we got into the Q&A, first of all, there was real value in these physicians uh, seeing up close what goes into playing a, a music a instrument of any kind. Uh, so that up close physical viewing of what was going on. But then the Q&A, I remember questions like, how often do you guys practice or play? Uh, how many days off a year do you get? The answer was like none, um, because they had to make money. Um, and what do you do for nutrition or athletic training or medical help? Well, we don't really have insurance. And so th these light bulbs just went off. The more questions that were asked, there were two things that came to mind. One, many of the aspects of these performing artists were very similar to sport athletes. And two, they were a very underserved population and could benefit very much from the knowledge we already had in the sports world. And then after it was over, I think you or Jim Whitehead called me and said that was the highest rated event in the history of that organization. And so they thought they were on to something. This might actually, there's a reason to pursue this. And I think that's when we started the ball rolling. What are the similarities uh, in the uh, health and wellness issues between athletes and performing artists. Now, have you guys thought about this issue before that event? I mean, throughout your career, John, you've been producing music and making music and working with musicians and performers all these years. So what experiences throughout that period of time kind of led you to that point of realizing, you know, there's a bigger need than just being able to have chances to play music? 
Well, I did work with a lot of musicians who had serious issues, um, physically, um, you know, uh, uh, abuse issues and also um, uh, mental health issues. But uh, like Freddie Hubbard, we were making a record one time and um, he came to the date and his, 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 his embouchure, his lips, his chops were so uh, swollen. And uh, I said, you know, Freddie, you, you can't possibly play like that. I mean, I'm a trumpet player too. I can't imagine. And, uh, and he tried to play, and, uh, but he, he couldn't. And I had to cancel the record date uh, because there's just no way he could get through it. Um, so it's, you know, it, it's always been an issue in the performing arts world. And, uh, but I never thought of it as an issue amongst younger players, beginning players, elementary school players. And that's what shocked me about the whole thing. And that's all to me, that was like, uh oh, you kind of expect somebody that who plays, plays an instrument, such a physical proposition. Look at Lewis Armstrong. I mean, uh, he, at the end of his life, he really could not play. And it was because of 50 years of, 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 uh, abusing his his uh, his embouchure, and then a, a violin player. You can imagine the issues that they might have, uh, and tendonitis and everything else on their their wrists, their their elbows, their neck, uh, and their hearing. Uh, so, and hearing health was always an issue for us too, because when we did a lot of live performances, I can remember being on tour with Ornette Coleman in Italy, in Europe, and the band was so loud that it was like people just flocking out of the room as soon as the band started to play. They just headed for the exits. Huh. It was too bad, you know, and it's also, it was just, it's extremely loud. We actually had a concert at Carnegie Hall one time in the, in the, uh, with Cecil Taylor's group and Ornette's group, and the fire marshal came in in rehearsal, and he, he, he said, he went to me, he said, you can't do this concert tonight. And I said, why not? He said, because it's 120 dB in here. I said, oh, well, it is kind of loud, huh? So I couldn't get the musicians to actually agree to turn down. So I decided to pull the curtain across the stage and let them play in front of the curtain rather than on the stage. So they played on the lip of the stage and the sound was absorbed by the curtain. And we got the concert done. Anyway, it's always been an issue. 120 decibels. That's like a level of a jet plane taking off. Yeah, it's too loud. I mean, I think you can, I think we know you could take up to 15 minutes of 100 dB before you're going to have hearing loss. So 120, I mean, it's almost instantaneous. So you really don't want to do that. And uh, so in the sports world, the music world, we're now pretty in tune to decibel level. But in the sports world, they're not. Because you see the big stadiums have signs, louder, louder, louder. I mean, come on now. So don't take your kid to a football game. But once we got done with the, uh, once we got done with this meeting in New Orleans in 2009, I think we sort of looked around um and, and I, I came from the sports world, so I worked for the NCAA. And so basically you sort of thought through it and you said, okay, both athletes and artists practice and play every day. They play through pain. They perform at all times of day and night, different environments. Uh, they don't have a big off season. They feel big pressure to succeed and, and risk career 
life-threatening injuries. So all of those things describe sport athletes, and people are comfortable with that. But when you think about it, it, it also describes many of our performing arts. And, and none of those people are being addressed. And then, the, as John said, the performing artists also have unique challenges, like the hearing loss issue or focal dystonia or uh, performance anxiety. So we basically began to try to identify if anybody was looking in this area and there were sort of targeted groups that were looking at parts of it. And what Athletes in the Arts ended up being is a co coalition of about 20 organizations, about half of them performing arts and wellness and nutrition organizations like athletic trainers and physicians, sports medicine physicians, and then half of them also music or dance groups. And so we've got uh, music educators and uh, uh, Drum Corps International and a variety of groups like that. And I think that's probably probably the first time that those two groups had really overlapped and interacted. And so there were some things that uh, the performing arts world was doing, actually, that could help sport athletes, like things like rhythm and synchronicity, uh, that type of thing. And then lots of things going on in the sports medicine world, like nutrition and how to handle jet lag or how to handle overuse injuries that um, we could sort of push back and help with the performing arts and that's that genesis is where athletes in the arts came from. So within, how did you get this off the ground? Because you have all these ideas. You got John from music and you from sports. So then where do you go next? How did you get the whole thing going? Well, I think the next group in was PAMA and the American College of Sports Medicine. So PAMA is the Performing Arts Medicine Association, and American College of Sports Medicine sort of is the sports medicine side. So we, we identified those two groups and sort of had some conversations. And um, then we just sort of got the ball rolling again. That little group, along with John at Loyola, Bethany Boltman at the New Orleans Musicians Clinic, um, we sort of had tried to identify key groups. I knew more of the sports medicine groups and the PAMA knew more of the music and dance groups. And we just sort of grew this coalition over time slowly because we didn't want it to grow too fast. And also the big thing for me was to create a course in health and wellness for the, uh, the music student. So, um, and we did that. So with the help of um, a member of PAMA, uh, what's her name, Randy, that... Um, yeah, Bronwyn. And uh, so Bronwyn's in Australia, and uh, the university that she works with, she they built this online platform. And um, uh, we she provided it to our students, and then we put it in a classroom setting with the teacher, uh, me initially and, and later others. And so we became one of the first uh, music schools in the country to have a, a three-credit-hour course in health and wellness issues which covered all of these subjects from nutrition to mental health to performance anxiety to repetitive stress. And then the question is, how do you, uh, how do you call cause physicians who don't know about those uh, specific uh, uh, repetitive stress injuries of, of musicians? How do you, how do you cause them to diagnose this properly and also to prescribe um, a rehabilitation plan uh, to overcome it? There's preventative, there's a diagnosis, and there's a, 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 there's a, a, a rehabilitation. Because, you know, if you're a violin player and you have repetitive stress, you have carpal tunnel syndrome, for example, which is common, and you go to a, a doctor, they're going to tell you to stop doing that, to stop 
using that and you you have a gig that night so you can't really do that so how do you solve think, the problem and we're still looking i for think that the solution. beauty of athletes and the arts is bringing out bringing up attention to all of these different elements because it's almost like you want to go to a physician who understands your needs you know as as an athlete who may have um for example i work with a lot of athletes who may be at risk of the female or male athlete triad and it's like if you go to a doctor who doesn't understand sports medicine they're not going to be able to fine tune and and diagnose what it is that you're struggling with and help you with the art of whether that's your performance or your sport. So I think the beauty of athletes in the arts is bringing awareness to all of these issues and being able to, you know, send people to the right physicians and the right professionals to help them, you know, work at their art and the longevity of their performance. And that's one reason why PAMA and, and Athletes in the Arts started that certification program that would bring awareness to physicians and others in the medical community to the specific issues and needs of performing artists. So that right there, and just the nutritional issues. I mean, every professional athletic team has a nutritionist. That's not true for the Philadelphia Orchestra. I mean, we just don't think that way. But if you were, a, uh, I mean, even just a rock band going on the stage, what do you eat before that gig? I mean, that's like, it's not something we usually think about, you know, you're going to drink a beer and smoke a cigarette, whereas uh, you're engaging in an anaerobic activity that may, if you were doing in a performing in a gym, you wouldn't be drinking the beer and smoking right. the cigarette. Right. So it's just a awareness issue. I think. And I right think about that. as well, like, you know, as part of scan, the sports cardiovascular and wellness nutrition group, um, the dietitians who are part of that. Right now, we are, you know, focusing a lot more on the nutritional needs of, of marching arts and dancers and vocalists, and it from everything from their uniforms to just long travel to getting ready for performance. And as a former dancer, I know that it's really hard to to get all of your needs met right before a performance. So talking to and working with nutrition professionals who can really, you know individualize your nutrition plan to help all of these specific needs that we don't even think about. Who thinks about uniforms when it comes to energy expenditure and long travel and access to food? And so it's really important that I think that this organization has come about and you guys have done so, such a great job at, at developing this to, to help all the people who need it. We want we want the, co the high school and college physical therapist or physician who takes care of the basketball team and the football team to take care yeah. of the band and the orchestra. In other words, just awareness that these issues exist because most of them right. do not know. But once they know, then they say, oh, and then, of course, they want to take care of those issues. But that awareness is essential. So go back a little bit, though, when you started Athletes in the Arts. I mean, it sounds like with like a lot of programs, like colleges and music schools, was there anything even in place back then for like just basic musician and performer wellness? Well, New Orleans had the Musicians Clinic. I mean, that's the kind of the enlightenment of Bethany, Bethany Boltman, who started that and who runs it. I mean, that's been around for a while. Um, I mean, I'm not quite sure how long, but over the over 20 years. And uh, so there is an awareness, but there's never been a connection between the sports community and the performing arts community. And I think that's the, that's the unique connection here. We did a thing at uh, Butler University 
and with, with a group of pianists who were competing for a national award or something. And one of them said that a Juilliard student said that uh, when he had uh, pain uh, playing, his instructor said, you're not practicing enough. Wow. And so it's the opposite, right? And so if the teacher doesn't, isn't aware. Now, I had a trumpet teacher who, uh, who said to me, you know, you can't always practice with the horn in your mouth. So he would make me sing. I'd be reading the part and I'd have to sing the part. I wouldn't be playing the part. So I could get the musical training in without the physical kind of uh, impact of it. So you don't always have to be putting, playing or, uh, or, or rehearsing with the horn in your mouth. If you look at the sport, even professional sports right now, football, their their practices are only two hours long, um, and 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 they fine tune them, and they have different. They move every ten minutes or fifteen minutes, or doing something different. Even the college athletes are doing that, but it's not necessarily what's going on in the performing arts world. So we want to try to take that over and and do that. I, I have a quote that John Batiste, who is a part of our Athletes in the Art, he's an ambassador for us. But one of his quotes, what we are allowed to share, said, I went to Juilliard for six years and never in any of my lessons was there any instruction about nutrition or any sort of quantifiable method to determine the pros and cons of playing long hours. If I missed the note, I was just told to do it again to practice more. And so that's a philosophy that's out there, um, 10,000 hours, whatever. And I think in some cases, maybe it works, but I think we also need to explore new and creative ways of uh, practice and performance. So what about the issue with like the lifestyle of performers? Because one of the problems that we've seen over the years, as far as buy-in for all these kind of ideas and concepts is the idea that you know, performers, musicians, they smoke, they drink as part of their image. Uh, dancers don't want to get too muscular because they look different. So how difficult is that issue um, conflicting with what your efforts are to try to help improve the wellness of these same performers? Well, of course, it's, uh, it's, it's very difficult. <clears throat> I mean, uh, it is true that the lifestyle of, of, of a, uh, a musician um, is, is somewhat different than the, uh, not all musicians are not the same. If you're playing in nightclubs and you have one lifestyle, if you're playing in the concert hall, you have another. But so it, it does depend, but there's still this kind of universal um, need uh, to understand what's happening uh, to you when you're playing an instrument, when you're engaging in that, uh, that repetitive action. Uh, and they all come upon it at some point. But there is this, uh, the sports, the athlete's career is considerably shorter, typically speaking, than a performer's career, unless you're a dancer. Uh, but, uh, you know, we have plenty of, we had a, a trumpet player in New Orleans who was playing at 100 years old. Um, there's, always, there's always outliers, but, but the fact of the matter is some of the greatest uh, artists are in their uh, later years. So uh, there is something, it's possible to sustain it and the idea is that, that uh, in an, a creative sense, uh, the, the artist has something to say that needs to be heard. And so if you're denied that chance, then there's a loss. There's, a, there's something that we've missed that we, we're gonna, we, we could regret. So you want to kind of keep it going. And um, so I think you'll find that, um, that professional musicians will pay attention to this, just like athletes. You're not going to catch a, a football player smoking a cigarette necessarily, 
unless it's a cigar after a win or something. But, but basically, they know it makes a difference. Everything matters. So I think performers are more and more aware of that as well. So then what are the, uh, like today now, with uh, Athletes in the Arts has been going since 2013, right? Yes, formally uh, 2013, we had our launch with uh, a national meeting at the American College of Sports Medicine. So now with the issues that you're seeing today, what are the, what are the main issues that you are focused on and trying to help improve? You mentioned hearing loss before. Uh, we talked about nutrition. So what are, the th- what are the things that you guys are looking to really make an impact with? Well, Steve, one that I have a real passion about is truly around performance. As John mentioned, there's a value of wellness and, uh, you know, nutrition, getting good sleep, that type of thing, those kind of habits for just longevity of being able to do what you do, whether you're a dancer or a, a musician. But how do you optimize performance and how do you actually measure that? The population we're dealing with is very, very diverse. It's diverse in terms of age because kids are starting to play music at very early ages. And as John said, that can go to 100. It's diverse in terms of genre, in terms of the music, music or dance routine that they do. And, and so you've got people of all different styles, ages, ethnicities, instruments, genres that are all needing this help. And so you can pick, there's a ripe area of research because <laughs> any one of them doesn't necessarily, a tuba player may benefit in a different way than a violin player might benefit. But there are general concepts out there of taking care of these people that we just need to get out there to educate and get this next generation of performing artists to think a little bit more about taking care of themselves and the next generation of the medical professionals and the music teachers and choreographers to realize it's their responsibility to help in that equation as well. I think that you're, you've identified that one of the main things is research. Uh, and one of the, the other thing for me is education. So I'd, I would love to see the organization, which by the way, needs to be formed as a nonprofit, um, so as we can raise money to accomplish that goal, I think it'd be a freestanding organization as well as uh, it, that's, that, that is a coalition of like-minded interests. But for me, an online course uh, that uh, like Bonwin did, that's available free to schools um, and not only colleges and music schools, but also um, secondary school programs. Because, you know, where there's a football team, there's a band. And uh, that's the that's kind of the irony of it. Um, of there, there, there has to be a music education program in a high school with a football team. And in the South, every everybody's got a football team, so there's all these music programs. I mean, there's I saw one high school recently uh, that had a you know a big marching band. But they also had five orchestras, five orchestras. Wow, that just that blew my mind. And um, but those kids and uh, know nothing about the health and wellness issues that are associated with what they're doing. I mean, if you, you can't go on a football field having some sense of uh, preparation and training, but they'll march you up and down a, a, a football field for three hours with a tuba on your shoulders and not give you water. So it's like, you know, it's, it's just a perception. There's not a, a perception of the similarities. And so I think one of our key goals is to continue ringing that bell of awareness that these things are similar and they need to have similar. Uh, yeah. Solutions. I can't stress that enough. I think again, the, the beauty of what we want to accomplish in, in the future um, would be 
access to these resources. I actually know dietitians and nutritionists that work for the Juilliard School, the School of American Ballet, um, and the Boston Ballet. And I think that bringing awareness to these great resources that are on their campuses would be so beneficial. The other thing is I come from, you know, my recent position that I just left was at UC Berkeley Athletics. And, you know, John, I think about the marching arts group and and just, you know, you're, like you said, there's a band with every football team. So if we were able to bring more awareness to their hydration concerns, their energy needs on a day-to-day, like I could have been the sports RD that worked with the band, right? And I think the, again, the beauty of this organization is that for the future, we have so much opportunity to not only bring awareness to this, um, to talk about why these schools and programs need to have a better budget to support health professionals that want to work with these different disciplines. And then also to those students at those schools, you know, teach them why they need to be working with health professionals that can help them with their health needs and, and just their individualized like nutrition or mental health or whatever that might be. Um, And I think the future of athletes in the arts right now, I know from a nutrition perspective, I'd love to focus more on the body image concerns of the, all the performing arts athletes out there. And uh, again, hydration issues. And we've talked about a lot more of the the specific elements that people don't ever always think about on a day-to-day that we really need to be addressing to optimize their health performance and just overall wellness. Exercise is medicine. I mean, that's ACM's claim to fame, and uh, and that's exactly what uh, musicians need. I mean, if I'm a trumpet player and I'm going to hold this six-pound weight in front of my face for four hours, are there muscles that I can strengthen through exercise? And, of course, that's true, and that's true for any instrument. So you could, if you connect the dots, you can prepare yourself for longevity and sustainability from a physical standpoint. So you got your nutritional standpoint, your muscular skeletal standpoint, as well as, and I teach the business and legal standpoint. So I'm trying to make a holistic approach to the sustainability of performing artists because I think it's essential to the to the, to the sustainability of the society. Yeah, I think it's easy to forget that most professional performers, musicians, dancers, when they go on the road, they usually don't have the resources they need to stay healthy or even have access to them. It's like a being on a minor league baseball team. You're going from one place to the next every day and having to optimize that performance. It's a real challenge. And, um, and oftentimes as well, if you're hurt a little bit, there's 10 people behind you that are willing to take your job and take your place. And so you, there's a mental challenge of being have to go out to perform because it's my livelihood. I also want to bring attention to the other project that we've worked on in the last year has been all of our fact sheets. Um, and so I don't, I want everyone to be aware of those resources as well. And they're available on the Athletes in the Arts website, which is pretty cool because we have fact sheets that have been created by dietitians. Um, one, for example, for the marching arts and drum corps, Lisa Dorfman came up with a great resource for those who are traveling and then the struggles that they face while traveling too. So sharing of, of um, foods that may be occurring on the tour buses, sleeping issues, um, meeting their needs, access to food. And so we have tons of resources on the Athletes in the Arts website. In addition to the, the studies that are taking place, COVID uh, recommendations to, to prevent 
COVID exposure, um, and again, the nutritional needs of of all of our, our performing arts athletes. There's tons of great resources, so I hope that everyone can go out and check those out, and I want to bring more awareness to those resources as well. I think those resources apply not only to the performer, but also to the teacher, to the parent, to the coach, to the physician. Uh, it's 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 something for everybody because there are all different kinds of groups involved in the the ex, the, the mutual benef- the, the mutuality that we share. The coalition is a is like Randy said, independent uh, uh, organizations that overlap in this mutuality of concern for the health and wellness issues of performing artists. Um, so the, the athletes uh, have always had attention in that matter and that, in that way, not always because concussions have been an issue for a long time, but, uh, uh, it's, it's true that the, 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 it's more developed and there's more money into that and going into sports. And so I think what we're hoping for is that, uh, it will be recognized that, uh, performing arts are of a similar nature and uh, importance, if I may say, and um, and so worthy of uh, the same degree of attention and um, and uh, you know expense. If any of parents are listening to this, um, you have a right as your children are developing into this. We want to be sure that they have fun. Um, and we don't want to over uh, make make it a chore, um, but. You know, we want to have this next generation, including you, to be sure that the wellness part of an adventure in performing arts is noted by the people that are providing guidance to them, whether it be the choreographers, the music educators, or or other folks. So parents, you have a right to check about that in the same way as you would have that expectation if your son or daughter was going out to play basketball and you had a pre-participation physical exam. So thank you very much for your time. I really appreciate all the time you spent with us today. Is there anything that you have coming up here in the future that Athletes in the Arts is really focused on? Well, I've kind of mentioned the idea of, of, of building an online course uh, to the extent that it works online. Every every school of music should have some interest in this, and that's going to take a while to uh, to uh, to develop. Now, NASM did create standards, but they left it up to the schools to uh, determine the timeline for meeting them and also to define them. So uh, do we need oscimeters in every practice room? I think so, uh, at least in every ensemble uh, space. But I think that's the way, the, the future for, uh, for a part of us, a part of our initiatives, I think, is, is trying to reach out to teachers and uh, in the educational world to make them aware of this. Uh, and so I think awareness is the number one problem to solve. And from that will become will come some action. So first step, make them aware that these problems exist and they, there are solutions available. Steve, we've had, and Yasi, we've had a lot of things on the plate this year. A lot of it's about creating better educational materials and en- enhancing our website, uh, which is something that uh, you, anybody can go to and access. Uh, we are a non-for-profit. Um, uh, we currently sit under the American College of Sports Medicine Foundation, but eventually we'll be our own individual entity, as John has mentioned. Um, we do have an initiative right now that a couple of our members are exploring, which is trying to create a special envoy in the Biden administration to see if we can have sort of a an envoy or a secretary of cultural uh, and arts um, that may be a bit of a stretch, but we're at least exploring that. And and again, I think any th- 
anything like that would help us in terms of the uh, uh, the performing arts and taking care of them. Uh, let me just close on my end here with Athletes in the Arts. Again, uh, we have a website. Please visit it. And the mission of Athletes in the Arts is basically uh, integrating the science of sport and the performing arts for mutual benefit. So we're taking what we know about sport. We're trying to push it into performing arts. And there's also some value in terms of what's going on in performing arts, music and dance, to be able to push back to the to the population going the other way. Uh, for example, folks with PTSD coming back from from uh, the, uh, Afghanistan or teaching uh, uh, dance stamps or ballet to have better footwork in the in the sport athlete world. So there's a great niche here for people that are interested in exploring this and making a difference. Um, we all are on this call because we have a passion for the performing arts and each of us is approaching it in a different way. Um, so I'm glad we had a chance to explore this a little further. And with that, we will wrap up this episode. Randy Dick, John Snyder, thank you so much for being here today. Thank you. You're welcome. Yasi, always a pleasure to co-host with you. Thanks for being here. Yes, thank you. That does it for this episode. Thank you so very much for listening in today. If you like what you heard, please click subscribe and you'll get our podcast out to you as soon as they are available. For Yasi Ansari, this is Stephen Karaginas, and you've been listening to the Athletes in the Arts podcast. Mm-hmm.